Bags down, spikes on. Welcome to the track. Hi, my name is Colin Waitsman. Going to be your host for this episode of Track World News. And uh, we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, he's actually a vaulter and content creator that I've been watching for much of my uh, career. And so it's, it's cool to be able to kind of have the, the favor turned around. Uh, we have Sean Francis, who is a vaulter from uh, NDSU from uh, just south of Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, joining us. He's a professional vaulter um, and uh, has a really great content uh, on YouTube as well. But uh, Sean, thanks for, for joining. Really do appreciate it. No, I appreciate you having me, man. It's like the first time I think we chatted, you were talking about how like you used to watch the old vlogs that I that I was making too. And I, I forget, you know, I forget people watch those. So it's kind of cool seeing you know, someone else being in the media space too, doing the same thing. It's neat. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, that was so I remember when I was a freshman, I was I started off like how many high school freshmen probably do. It's like, oh, what's that cool thing where you get to jump on a giant bed? Like, let me try it. Uh, and so I remember going over and vaulting and they're like, okay, you made the cut. Like, cause it started off as like 20 kids and obviously you can't have 20 kids vaulting, got, got whittled down to like four or five of us. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, like, let's, you know, take a look at some stuff. So I remember just go uh, going on YouTube and looking out like pole vault videos and like, I just watched a ton and then like, I saw yours and I remember it was when you're doing the, the fast paced, uh, yeah. typing thing. And it, <laughs> it caught my, caught my ear as a, you know, a high schooler and, you know, been watching ever since. So yeah, appreciate, you know, what you've done, you know, joining in the, the vault community for sure. Yeah. My pleasure. It's funny you mentioned that, like when I sped up my voice, like the idea with that at the time was like, it just felt slow, like the way I was talking. So it's like, how can I make these videos shorter so people can get more information faster? And that's where like that voice kind of <laughs> came from. It was like, let's just speed this up. And then people expected that voice to come out of me like naturally. <laughs> it was kind of wild, but yeah. Funny stuff, funny stuff. Well, uh, I mean, hey, so that was kind of, you know, where I got started on vaulting, but for you, like, what was your journey into, into the sport? I mean, it's not, you know, vaulting's not the, the first thing you think of usually with track and field uh, for many people, but you know, what was it for you? How did you, you know, get involved with, with this? Yeah, so it, it's, it's kind of a, a, a weirder story, I suppose, or maybe people enter it this way, but um, I was a big karate guy growing up. So like that was my main sport and, and I did that all the time. And then people were like, well, how do we get this kid to do like school sports, you know? And I, w I was dealing with some depression stuff. So the counselors were always like, what if we just throw them into, into sports or some kind of community activity type of thing? And so um, they tried to get me to be a wrestler because of my karate background. I was like, ah, I'm not really feeling that. And then I also snowboarded a lot too, being from Minneapolis. So they were like, well, what if we, what if you do the swim team and then you could be a diver and that might help with, you know, the, the half pipe type stuff and going off jumps and, 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 and whatnot there. So I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'll, I'll wear a speedo for that for sure. And so, so <laughs> I joined the swim team, the captain of the swim team happened to also be the captain of the track team. So when the swim team was over or, or when the swimming was over, they were like, how about you try track? And then, um, for the first two weeks, they tried turning me into a hurdler, which was all right. But, uh, and they pushed me over to pole vault. And then just like most people, you try it once and you feel like you get bit by the bug for life. And here I still am <laughs> since 2001, you know, yeah. still in the pole vault. Yeah. It's something, yeah, for me, once I got started, like I kind of had the idea. I'm like, I think I would like that. Like looking at it, like it looks fun. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, this is even more fun than I thought it was, especially yeah. when it's your first year, because you're setting PR every single, like you, you just look at the pit and you set a PR. And yeah. I mean, so for you, how, how was that like enjoyment? Cause I feel like it's, it's weird, I guess, as those vaulters, cause like the enjoyment factor can go up and down so much, uh, but you know, especially during those first few years, it's just like, Yo, this is great. Like there, this, this, this sport could do no wrong. I'm, I'm not getting any back injuries at the time or, or any of that. Yeah. Just, you know, pure bliss. It's pure fun. Right. Like I, I think of the same, when I think of masters pole vaulters, I think of the same way. There's no other reason for masters pole vaulters to be pole vaulting than pure fun because it hurt. <laughs> it does hurt. You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for me, it was like, we ran through the hallway because Minnesota, there's snow everywhere. So we were running through the hallways, you know, trying to learn how to, you know, run with a pole. And we had these little sticks because we were hitting the ceilings if we had real poles. And 
like I just want to get into the pit because like trampolines or like snowboard or any of that stuff. It's just like, I want to jump into the pit. So I almost quit. I told my dad, I was like, if we can't get outside in like a week, I think track's not for me. And then thank God, I guess the uh, sun came out, snow started to melt and we got outside. And then the first time I like swung up on a pole, I like, I cleared a, uh, a bungee. They had bungees and I was like, this is awesome. And everyone else was struggling to get upside down. I was like, maybe this is for me. So like, getting upside down was like the first thing. And then the next year was the first year I bent a pole. And like that, I, I think I remember that more than any other thing in pole vaulting for me. I don't know. Do you feel like that too? Like bending a pole is like a magical moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause it's, vault. it was the moment. Cause it's that thing that, especially when you just, when you're starting off, you just Google, okay, what's the, the highest someone's ever done this or whatever. And you see every, all the professionals, you see them bending the pole. And then I'm just here with my little, you know, 11, 12 foot pole and I'm straight pulling. And I'm like, well, how do I make that happen? And so I remember just asking like, you know, people that I saw at meets, like bending the pole. I'm like, how do you do it? And they're like, I don't know. You <laughs> yeah. just one day it happens. Right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the truth. Yeah. And that's wild. Cause when I was coming up, we, and isn't this makes me feel kind of old, but YouTube wasn't a thing yet. Like YouTube happened when I was in college. Mm -hmm. So all we had was these like photocopied pieces of paper that my high school coach had my sophomore year, like freshman year, we had a, a high school kid trying to coach us, you know, and that's unfortunately pretty common, <laughs> I think yeah. around in the pole vault space. And I didn't learn very much, you know, we were all kind of coaching ourselves, but that second year, the coach would come out with these like photocopied things. Like we need to get a reverse C and we have to do this. And here's what it looks like. And when the pole bends, we want to be in these positions. So that was like my first introduction into like pole vault education, which is like, Oh my God, other people have tried to figure this out too. We're not just winging it. You know, that's what it felt yeah. like. So it, it's it's crazy you know to think that like i didn't have that but you had youtube and the internet you know at the time full of just pole vault stuff which is i think the way it should be yeah <laughs> like it's, it's better i think that's partially why you see all these monster records and things just going down at, at younger and younger ages uh because uh you're seeing so many more people are, are having you know, more things instead of just, oh yeah, my, my coach told me some guy across the world jumped, you know, this, this height. And yeah, here's, here's one really, really grainy video of it <laughs> so we can watch it. It's now like, oh yeah, if you want to see the best people in the world do our sport, like there are thousands of videos out there. And on top of that, there are hundreds of people that are breaking down every last, you know, bit of it. So you can know exactly how it is that Mondo or Sam Kendricks, you know, cleared the bar instead of just, you know, maybe looking at some old pictures or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's fantastic. Like the, the first time I even saw, saw professional pole vaulting was uh, this coach. I went, I was, I was doing like the summer club or winter club in Minneapolis. And this guy, Gary gave me a VHS tape where it was blurry and grainy, but man, I probably watched the crap out of that thing just to, just to watch. And I was like, well, I'm going to jump like that seventies vaulter. Cause he's like my size. Like, I can't even remember his name. I think it was Vergen, one of those guys. And then he had long socks and like short shorts. So like I wore that for almost the rest of my career. I, I remember ditching the socks later as a, like in the pro thing, just cause it was warm one day. But man, those shorty shorts, those, it was all because I watched that VHS video. <laughs> the only reason I wore those things. I'm in the full support of the short shorts. I was a yeah. short shorts vaulter. I don't know. Something yes. about, you just feel fast. There's not enough of us, man. Yeah. yeah. It's so, yeah, it's per, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it, man. It's free freedom. <laughs> yeah. So for, for all the vaulters out there that are, you know, not sure what you want to wear for this outdoor season, go with the short shorts. You will not turn back. I promise. It's, oh, it's refreshing. Yeah. Short shorts for sure. That's <laughs> what you need. And, and so when did you realize like, okay, like, I'm pretty good at this. Like when, when were you like, all right, I want to try this at the collegiate level, maybe even do this a little bit farther. Was there any, was it a particular meet or was it just kind of over, over time where you're like, okay, I'm, my, my PRs are going pretty high now. Yeah. I think there's like some magic to this where, you know, you talked about starting pole vault because it, it was just fun. Like you like doing it. And um, I, I, I think I was particularly ignorant where I didn't know how high you had to jump to win state. I didn't know how you did to jump to go to college. I didn't know any of that. I just, I just had fun pole vaulting. And at the time I didn't even want to go to college. And so, uh, when people or I guess people, I guess there are people, colleges started sending me letters to, you know, try and get me to their recruiting letters. 
It's like, oh man, maybe I could go to college. This is a way to keep pole vaulting, keep doing this thing that's just fun and that I love it. And so I essentially went to college just because I wanted to keep pole vaulting, you know? And then I ended up doing a master's degree on pole vaulting just so I could keep pole vaulting after college was over. And I was so ingrained in trying to figure the sport out that I was like, I did my research on it. <laughs> like, there's no, there's not a lot of careers in pole vaulting and I didn't care. I just wanted the answers. And so that's where that all kind of came about. And then I told just a few of my close friends that if I jump 520 or 17 feet in college, then I would, I would keep going. That seemed like a magic number to be able to keep going at the time. And so I did that indoors and outdoors, um, my senior year and then kept jumping. And then that year after I jumped 540 and made my first U.S outdoor championship meet and placed fifth. And I was like, Oh, cool. You can win a little bit of money doing this. That's even better. I don't have to pay mm -hmm. to do my sport anymore. And I just, I just kept doing it. But that inner fire was always like, this is fun. And I still have things to figure out, you know, mm -hmm. that that's really what pushed me to keep going. Yeah. Uh, what are some of those, like, what are some of those things that you're, that you might've learned that you didn't think of before you had started Obviously, you you know you did your master's, you know, focusing in on on the pole vault. Were there any techniques or just aspects of the vault that you were like, okay, like this is how you do it, like this it's whether it's like the run, whatever it is, this is how the vault is. And then you did some research, and you're like, oh, I am completely wrong. This is actually how you know you do something or how you you know tweak things. Any of those things that might have stuck out in your head that you know kind of changed your view on the on the vault there. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, so I grew up reading Beginner to Bubka, and it was the only book out there really at the time that you could get a hold of. So it was a very Russian model based. Um, and so I actually did my research on the free takeoff or the takeoff. I wanted to, I wanted to prove the free takeoff because it seemed to be all theory. And I was like, well, I could probably do some research on this and figure out that the free takeoff is could real. You, could you explain cool. briefly what the, the free takeoff is? Yeah, so they describe a free takeoff as somebody who takes off without the pole being loaded. So essentially, Peter McGinnis describes it as the pole not bending while your foot leaves the ground. So that would be a, a pure free takeoff. Um, and then there's misrepresentation in you know Russian versus Australian versus how we all view it, but that's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if your foot's on the ground, you're probably losing some energy and it's hurting your pole vault. And so I tried to do that in my research. We put a force plate in the runway and I was measuring, you know, takeoff forces and braking forces and medial and lateral forces, like left and right forces on the ground and how much energy was being pushed into the pole versus if you're on, under and out. And then if people were be able to make bars that way. And what we found was like, it, it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> which, which hurts so bad because I was trying to prove a free takeoff and it was uh -huh. like, dang it, does it really not matter? And so I kind of sat on it for a while because I was just testing NDSU vaulters at the time because that's who I had access to. Mm -hmm. And then talking to Pete later on, he was measuring, you know, uh, for or a time based on the moment your foot leaves the ground and how bent the pole. So if the pole hits the back of the box, your timer starts and then you would measure how long it took for your foot to leave the ground. And so if your foot left the ground and then the pole hit the back of the box or started to bend, that was a free takeoff. And so if you had a bigger number, you were on the ground longer, which was like less free. And what he found that like Elena Sembaeva and like Jen Schur were on opposite sides of that spectrum and were only a couple centimeters apart uh, when it came to their PRs. So then, you know, you can kind of conclude that yeah, your takeoff step isn't as important as you think it is. <laughs> so that was like that big, my mind blew, blew up a little bit. So he described them as jumpers versus crunchers. If you're a little closer to the box, you're a cruncher where the pole's bent a little longer, but you can get upside down. Usually taller vaulters are crunchers. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, like shorter, faster vaulters are jumpers. They have to jump off the ground more to get the pole moving. And so, and that all makes sense. Uh, but it be, it was like, my, my brain exploded as I was like, so I've been, everyone tells you your takeoff steps, the most important thing. And if you go to a high school track meet, everyone's like, your takeoff step was two inches out. We got to move you forward two inches when really, um, for me, it's like your takeoff step doesn't really matter as much as everyone makes it out to be. As long as you're within a, a range, like three inches on either side of that takeoff step, you're good to go. So yeah, that was the biggest thing that blew my mind that I'm still 
catch myself going, let's check your step. Let's check your step. And I go, ah, it doesn't matter. Let's make sure your plants on time Yeah, <laughs> instead. Yeah. That's gotta be weird. Uh, being a part of that, that research. And then I'm sure you probably got a, a lot of, maybe not a lot of, but definitely probably some flack of coaches being like, Nope, it's still important. Don't, don't care what you're saying. Like takeoff needs to be exactly right. We're still practicing the, the free takeoff. I mean, and, and then you were like, well, I mean, I did all this stuff and it shows that, you know, I mean, what you think might be important isn't as important and then kind of completely changing the, the model, even though every vaulter is a model. So there really isn't one. one yeah. Pick. It's, but it's that wasn't, weird. that wasn't talked about, you know, yeah. uh, it was this way or that way. That's usually how it was like, you, you jump like an American or you jump like a Russian. And those were like the two ways when I was growing up. And then, mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't know where that changed, you know, I, like maybe I helped it a little bit because I was, you know, saying some of the stuff I learned and then it didn't really matter if people agreed or not because the information was out there and then they could mm -hmm. test it on their own. And then if it worked, I mean, that's how science works. If, yeah. if you try it and it works, that's probably the answer. And if you try it and it doesn't work and you don't like the answer, you can try a different experiment and see if you can get mm -hmm. something else. But, um, yeah, it, it just became very clear that everybody jumps different and you should coach their strengths instead of, you know, trying to force everyone into a box. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it, it just seems to, it works better. And not just in pole vault, but it seems like life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone's going to be different. There's no, you can't do, put everyone into the same little cookie cutter box. It's just not going to work. And right. uh, yeah, so throughout this entire process, you were not only vaulting and, and going through, you know, this master's studies, but you're also making videos and, and vlogs covering your, your journey uh, in the sport um, all throughout. As I mentioned, I, I was one of the, the frequent watchers. Um, what got you into, you know, wanting to do these vlog series and, you know, spending a bunch of time probably, you know, ending up, you know, doing these and following your career? Yeah, I, uh, so I ran a, I helped run a club called team Nodak up in North Dakota state. And then when my master's was over, I was done. And I was kind of at this point in my life where, uh, I could go get a real, a real job and, uh, sit in an office. I got my master's in biomechanics and ex-phys. So, you know, watching people walk and, you know, giving them corrector of the exercises, things like that. Or I could, uh, go pole vault full time and try and make, uh, you know, this pro thing kind of work out. And the way I looked at it was that that window's only open for so long that safe jobs always going to be there. So I was going to go be a pole vaulter. But because I left, I've had this like massive guilt because I had this club I was working with for like three years. And I just, I, there was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done is just leave these kids, you know, and it mm -hmm. felt like I was leaving them up and dry. So I told them I was going to make a weekly video, just kind of showing my journey and things I've learned. And then I'll just, it's for them. And so that's how it all started was uh, a way to stay connected with these team Nodak kids. And then uh, lo and behold, the pole community just started watching it. And I didn't even know the pole community was like that big, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I got a hundred views on that video, 200, 300, 400,000, you know, a couple thousand. And then um, it just started, it started out as showing my journey, trying to be a professional pole vaulter and just bringing people along with me. Cause I thought that was interesting. That's what I wanted to see. Like with the uh, Neo vault videos, you know, we're all kind of back then pretty cool. And then it turned into seeing that there was this massive, um, hole of lack of information out there. And so then it turned into, all right, I'm going to share, you know, these things I've learned from these elite pole vaulters and coaches and that I've picked up trying to figure this sport out and then share that with people and hopefully it helps. So it started as like that way to connect with the kids and then it turned into this, man, there's a bigger need for education out there. Yeah. Because yeah. um, something that's difficult and that stinks with a lot of uh, current vaulting in high school, at least, and, and you've touched it on several times in your videos is just, and we actually mentioned it a little just earlier now that, you know, the, the resources that athletes have in vaulting is, is very, very slim. And that's a challenge, especially because it's, if not, I, I would say it is, but it's definitely one of, if not the most dangerous sports on the track. And so oh, yeah. having, having the least amount of resources for the most dangerous sport in your entire you know, an entire series of sports is not great. <laughs> it, it can become difficult. And you did a lot to kind of showcase like, Hey, 
if you can only have four poles, these are the four you should probably have, or if this is the, the things you should be looking for. And so um, definitely helped out with the community a lot with those types of things. Yeah. And the, and the coolest part about that is it, it, I wasn't saying anything new. Like if you went to a, like a track clinic, there were coaches saying that it was just, I looked at it like you could go to these track clinics and maybe talk to 20 coaches. And then those 20 coaches might talk to their coaches and it might go on, or I could make one video, give this speech once and it could reach more people. And I think that's kind of the power of, and that's why I'm sure you're doing what you're doing is the audience is so much bigger and you can reach more people through the internet. And I, I, I just think I was maybe the, one of the first people to do that in pole vault on this side. And that's really why it just built up some steam, you know, and I, I hope more people do it, you know, like, I appreciate what you're doing, man. This is, this is great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think we've seen a lot more or a, a little bit more of uh, people in, in our sport. I think Zach Bradford he even has a, a pole vaulting vlog. That he it's just awesome. Started. Yeah. I yeah. started watching it too. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like, yeah, we got a, we got a few more people within the, the community and some names that are, you know, I mean, one of the biggest names just in track and field right now is, is Mondo Duplantis. Like he's a, he's a huge name. He, I'm seeing him on Puma ads and Red Bull ads everywhere. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's growing big. I mean, what are your thoughts on like this generation of, of vaulters? Cause it seems like the, the Peter Lisek, um, Sam Kendricks, they're not done by any stretch of the means, but we're now right. having that younger generation of Mondo's Casey Lightfoot's and, uh, like Sandra Guterman. I think I said his name, right. I hope I did. Uh, that are, you know, that next generation and, and are really going to start testing them, you know, within the next few years. I mean, how do you, how have you, you know, seen them as they're growing up? Yeah, I, uh, it's interesting. Like, I, I think I put it in my book, like in a section that it, it feels like their parents were trying to figure out fiberglass poles, you know, like, yeah, there's stories of Joe Dial putting helium in his pole to try and make it lighter when he ran down the runway. <laughs> like he's got, they were just, they didn't, they didn't really know how it worked. I call them fiberglass cowboys because they were literally trying to ride these poles and make them work. And most of their stories, if you listen to these guys, they were like, we got rejected like 14 times that day, but oh man, when then it finally worked. So then, you know, you fall off the horse, you know, it's, it's like that yeah. saying. And so I think like they figured it out, but they were getting hurt and beat up a whole bunch of times. And now since once they did figure it out, like Greg, you know, he was a 19 foot pole vaulter. He had all the tools and the knowledge and they could pass it on to their kids without them having to fall off the horse so to say yeah. and that's why i think they're jumping so high they they figured it out and like the access to the information you know i had little five pamphlets of pictures and they have the internet you know where they could dive down and try things all they want and then there's access to like there's more clubs than there's ever been so i think yeah these these kids are starting younger with the right information with the right knowledge in a safer place and it's showing man. Like you look at Mondo and Casey, I mean, the, and then Chris Nilsson too. I mean, he broke the NCAA record too, you know, like it's people seem to forget to talk about Chris, but that record was up there for like 20 years and it's just been shattered by three different people in the last couple, you know, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, a lot of those same guys, they broke it. it I guess it came in waves cause they all broke this collegiate record. I think all three of them also broke the national high school record as well, like yeah. just three years earlier. And so it's like, all right, same three guys, they're going to break this record. And then three years later, they're all going to almost in the exact same order, break, break this record as well. I mean, and, and talking about KC, I mean, just yesterday, he announced he's going professional. And I think that's means a whole lot with, with our sport because now it opens up the NCAA championship. And I think it gives him an even better chance of, of jumping really, really high. Cause he's going to be, you know, full focus on that, not chemistry or whatever it is. Right. I mean, <laughs> what do you think his decision to decide to go pro has an impact on whether it's NCAAs or, or just how he does at the Olympics or the, or the trials this year? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's just, it's going to have a massive impact on both. I mean, the NCAA, it opens up the door for a couple of these other guys to kind of step it up. Like, uh, if you've been watching the Kansas vaulters, they're jumping oh, insane right now. Oh yeah. yeah. They're I, incredible. I don't know what's in their cereal, but they're, <laughs> they're all eating the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah like Zach just jumped, uh, I think 19 one. Yeah. Like 581. I think 581. Was, yeah. yeah. Which is absolutely insane. And then, you know, there's a couple other guys jumping 570 from there. 
Um, there's a freshman, I think he was from Texas, who jumped 580 at the NCAA Indoor Champs. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, so the NCAA just became super competitive because it was for a while there, Casey and then everybody else. But now without Casey, there's just like everybody else is all in the, kind of the same mix. So that's really exciting. I think for like the Olympics outdoor stuff, like Casey was in the mix without having to jump against these guys. So I don't know if we've seen Casey be challenged in a while yet, you know, in a meet where he didn't win it and then could put the bar wherever he wanted. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, I don't know. What What do you think, man? Like, it's yeah, just, there's so much. Going yeah, I on think uh, this. if if there was a most like unsure champion like in the NCAA's, I'd say the men's pole vault this year would be it. Like, if someone was like, yeah. "Hey, you, Colin, you're a pole vaulter. You know a lot about the sport. I'm gonna bet a hundred dollars on whoever you think's gonna win." I'd be like, "Don't do it," because <laughs> right. there are because if they it's like if they make the final in the NCAA championship, I'd say they probably have a just as a good shot as anyone else in there because it's just. There's so much great talent uh, throughout the vault there, especially without without KC. If I had to guess, maybe I mean Zach because he's number one right now. Like maybe I guess. Yeah, but, and he's pretty consistent. Like I yeah. always look at consistency before I see big bars, you know. And that's where Casey was dangerous because he's consistently jumping like 590 every single mm -hmm. meet, <laughs> which is which is wild. And that's what Sam was doing, you know. Like Sam will jump 580. I think he's maybe just past 100 meets over 580 something like his dad keeps track yeah. of it but it's insane and that's what hartwig used to do too you know and yeah it's a uh, moving just like casey in with that group i'm it's it can be hard i don't know what his outdoor meet looks like or schedule looks like but international travel can wear you out and that's a whole different world you're trying to navigate too so that's what keeps it exciting though you just how is this guy going to react in this new environment you know mm -hmm. and the other guys have a couple years under their belt and they know what it's like, but I'd imagine like he'll figure it out real quick. And then come this summer, we'll see him consistently jumping. That's some of those six meter bars. I would think. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be exciting for the, cause what there's, I guess you could say Sam Kendricks, hopefully now Kate, you know, Casey Lightfoot. And then I think, you know, those last two positions for who it's going to be, I'm guessing my, my guess is probably, you know, Nielsen, but I mean, you know, Walsh is, is doing really well. I think, you know, Matt Ludwig is, is starting to, you know, really start coming out of his, of his shell a little bit. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really great men, male vaulters in the, in the United States that you really can't hang, you can't hang up on because they're all in that similar, you know, 580 uh, mark there that, that could, you know, get you that spot in the trials. Yeah. It reminds me of a couple Olympic trials a few years ago where, you know, you could jump 580 and not make the team. <laughs> yeah. Know? Which that's, that's insane to think about, especially since the last two years, you know, um, a guy would get third place at 560, but a guy who had the mark and jump 570 two weeks before would go to the Olympics. You know, I think that happened at the, our last two Olympics. So yeah, going to the trials and I mean, you might have to jump you know, six meters or five ninety six meters just to, to go to the Olympics from our, from, from the United States. And you yeah. know, the way it's looking, you might get sixth or seventh place jumping five eighty. Yeah. Which, which is to, wild. To think that you might have to dang near set an American record <laughs> to exactly. just go. It's like, Hey, you got to set a national record just to be in the, you know, to guarantee that you're going. That's, that's how, you know, it's a competitive field out there. So it's going to yeah, be interesting. It's so cool for United States pole vault right now. It just, it just blossomed within the last couple of years for sure. Oh yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. They're, they're all lucky that Mondo decided to go, uh, Sweden <laughs> instead because it'd, yeah. be, it'd be more difficult, but oh, for uh, sure. So, so something that you recently came out with that was pretty, that's pretty exciting. Uh, you mentioned, um, I know mentioned it before, but you've written a book. Um, what was it? Yeah. The, the, the pole vault toolbox. Um, could you kind of share what was your, you know, your reasoning to, to writing this and, and kind of what it's, uh, what it's about and how it's been helping people, you know, in our sport? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I wrote the book pretty much because when I was making the vlogs or I'm still making the vlogs, but I would get a lot of emails asking the same questions all the time. And, you know, as over the years, I was like, I should write a book. I should write a book. I should write a book. But there was this like thought that, you know, I haven't, I haven't made an Olympic team. I don't have an American record. I haven't coached a lot of all Americans. I haven't done a lot of this stuff. Uh, and so 
there's this like imposter kind of a syndrome, like who am I to write a book? You know, this, this mm-hmm. should be like a, you know, a Jeff Hartwig type of thing or, you know, or Stacy Dragila should write a book, but it just kept coming back that no one's going to, I don't see anyone doing this right now. So I have the information it is helping people. Um, so I'll write it. And so a lot of the things I've just been telling people over the years that have been helping ended up just being the book. So I think I started it in May of 2018, finished it by September because it, it was pretty much written in my head. I just had to put it on paper and, you know, take the photos for it. So it came out, it came out and, um, I, I tried to make it as simple as possible so that anyone who, even as someone who's never pole vaulted before could read it and understand like how to start and how to get going. So I kind of took the idea that if I can't understand, under if I can't explain it simply, I don't understand it well enough. So I wrote it with that in mind the whole time. And it came out just like I, I it's a lot of the basics, but the fundamentals are always the most important. But there isn't a lot of books out there like that in the pole vault. There's there's maybe three now with mine, you know. And so it it came from there. And what I'm finding is it's it's helping a lot of those coaches who don't know where to start. You know, they just get thrown into the event and then it's helping athletes have the fundamentals right at the beginning and know like what the goal is like if we look at all styles like you were talking about earlier they all kind of follow the same thing we want to be as fast as we can at the end of the run we want to have our plant up as tall as we can while we take off and we want to try and get upside down while the pole is bent i mean like if we break it down and keep the pole as simple as it can those are the things we're trying to do and so i wrote the book like here's how you can achieve the fundamentals and here's some errors you can you know look for to, to avoid falling into those traps that we mm-hmm. get into in technique. Yeah. And that's like the most, it, it's interesting that there's not many books and, and videos or you know, many books that are on the beginner side of the vault, because that's where you can really make or break like your career or make or break. If somebody's going to follow the sport, you know, for the rest of their, their life or athletic career, because if, if I, you know, on my first day of pole vault practice, like I fall into the box and like, you know, break my wrist, I'm like, all right, I'm done. Like, like this is my, my first day. I was you know, dangerous. Maybe, you know, I just decided to grip too high. Coach might not have been too experienced, might've been raining, whatever it might be. And then, you know, you get injured. All right. There's a vaulter that's gone. Like, I mean, who knows if one of these guys who's a world-class athlete now on their first day, you know, had a bad, you know, bad experience. You may, you may never, you might not have ever created these records or whatever. And so I think it's, yeah, it's really important and shouldn't go under, you know, undervalued. Like, Hey, you need to know these key fundamental things so you don't get hurt or you have a good time or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, safety is what will kill our sport. If, if, if people keep, if, well, they're not getting hurt, it doesn't, we're pretty safe, but like if, people do get hurt in our sport that's where you know our sport's over they're gonna be like it's not worth the liability risk anymore and then you know they're gonna sell the sell everything (laughs) you know it's really that easy i mean i got a i got an email from a coach two days ago who goes we have i have my kid on a 10 6 160 pole you're like okay cool he's like I didn't even know that pole existed. That sounds <laughs> insane, you know, it, but cool. You know, I don't know where so you one got of it. One. Yeah. yeah. One of one, but the next pole we have is a 14, six, So do you think that's a okay jump? You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. But that seems to be like some basic information that all pole vault coaches and pole vaulters should know is just moving poles. You know, that seems so basic, but um, even when I was learning like day one, it was like, here's how you get upside down really fast, swing as hard as you can. You know, that's what they teach on day one instead of, you know, these little safety things that will make the swinging easier and all that other stuff. So yeah, I, I just, I think it's really important, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. moving poles and knowing the grip and how high to grip and you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I wrote a book about it <laughs> to try and make it easier for people. Yeah. It's, it's important. And, and like you said, we're, there's not a lot of the, the injuries on the, I guess the professional level that are, you know, as drastic, I guess, uh, mainly because if you make, if you mess up there, it's, it's really, really, really bad <laughs> where right. if you, if you mess up at, you know, you're jumping eight foot, nine foot, like it's not great. I mean, I remember, so this was, this was purely because I didn't have a coach when I was a sophomore in college, in high school. Uh, I had like a 13, six pole or whatever. And I was gripping like 11 feet. And I was like, you know what? Let's just grip up a foot. Let's just <laughs> right. try it. Let's see what, yeah. it, let's just see what happens. And so I do it and I'm like, 
I go up and I am, it, of course it doesn't work. Cause yeah. why would it work? I, I was, I hadn't trained this at all. And so I, I, it bounces me and like, I, I get stuck up and it's like, right. I'm like, it's vertical. I'm like, Oh, this is a bad idea. And I'm like, I'm going down and not in the right way and yeah. then land right on the pit and like get all scratches on my arm. And I'm like, all right, well, we're never doing that again. And it's like, well, you see if there's a coach, you'd be like, Colin, yeah, don't do that. That is right. stupid. And get hurt or worse. And you know, those are the important things with our sport. Uh, Cause the injuries happen at the younger ages, not as much at, at the, uh, you know, the older, you know, when you got, when it's on video as, as much. Yeah. I look at it like, so when you're a kid, you have this much room for air, you know, you're, you're on a smaller poles, short runs, the pits way bigger than, you know, the poles going to launch you. And then as you become uh, like a professional, you know, you're on these faster poles, you're running faster, you're higher up in the air. So that room for air gets smaller. And that's what makes them professionals is they're able to focus all that energy to where they want to go. And that's, what's kind of exciting about our sport is that if you're not on, like there's a video of Steve Hooker who, you know, was the second highest jumper of all time when this happened, he flew into a wall. Like there's a video of it where <laughs> the pole just bends, he doesn't let go. He flies into a wall, gets hurt and his meets over, you know, like he, he was trying to stay focused, but something, whether it was the wind or his plant was a little under something just threw him off that way where, yeah, as, as a high school kid, you know, you got that room for air, but you don't want to get it to here with that kind of experience or that's where kids get hurt. Like you said, moving up, you know, grip too quick. And I've done the same thing. I landed in the box in high school, you know, a week before my state meet my senior year, because I was trying to get on 15 foot poles from 14, six. So like holding up too high in a pole, that's too big. You don't get in the pit and you land in the box, you know, that's, yeah problems. It can, <laughs> it can become not great. And I guess that's why we, you'll often, Sadly, the only times you really see our sport on ESPN is when it's a, a high school kid at a dual meet, like getting rejected or breaking the pole. It's yeah. just like, uh, man, this is the only connotation people have with our sport. They're like, oh, you're a pole vaulter? Oh, have you ever broken a pole? I'm like, no, I, I haven't luckily, but let yeah. me guess. You saw the, like every time it's on ESPN, all of my friends send that to me, every single one of them. Oh, right. Yeah. Pole vault fails are the best, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're not the best, but they are entertaining to watch cringeworthy for sure. And as a pole vaulter, they hurt even more when you watch it. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if I saw someone on a trampoline, you know, fly off of it too, I'd probably want to watch that. So yeah. I, I do get the <laughs> fails situation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so kind of turning the, turn the page a little bit, uh, something that you really focused on, um, especially more outwardly in your, your videos more recently, you've, you've added, you know, new challenge, new, new channel or I guess adapted your current channel with, uh, you know, to mental health and that aspect of, of not just mental health for, you know, sports, but just mental health for people in general. Um, could you kind of touch on like, you know, the importance for you and maybe how you've, you know, seen that it grow from being a real bad stigma to now kind of being more forefront and, and acceptable in society? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's quite acceptable yet. Um, hopefully we're getting there. And, and I think just people talking about, it, so I appreciate you like giving me a, a platform to talk about this because I think it is important. Um, I, I grew up with uh, massive depression and, and anxiety. Uh, I was hospitalized twice for depression, uh, once as a kid and then once uh, in grad school. And um, it's just been like a 25, 30 year battle trying to navigate, you know, medication and therapy and still it's, it's not great yet. So um, I, I, I'm starting this new project. I haven't launched it yet, but where I'm, I'm going interview, to interviewing experts in mental health. I'm bringing their information to try and bring it to a broader audience. Because um, for me personally, when I got out of the hospital the second time, a lot of the things I learned in there, I was like, man, this is really helping with my life. I wonder if this could help, you know, with my sports. And so I would bring cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, in, into sports, which is essentially just challenging your thoughts, you know, cause uh, so, so a good example, you're at a meet and you see a bunch of guys jumping really high thoughts go through your head. How am I going to beat these guys? They're too good. I better get on a bigger pole. I better do this. You start going, your thoughts are kind of running wild. Cognitive behavioral therapy goes, all right, let's 
talk about your feelings. What, what, what's going on here? You're like, well, I'm not good enough. I, I got to do more. I got to do this. I got to do something. So there's just like a feeling situation there. I feel scared. You know, the thoughts going through your head's like, I need to make all these changes. I'm not as good as that guy kind of a situation. And then the, the, what, what that ends up doing is you start to go, well, none of that's really true. I'm just going to try and jump as high as I can with the tools I've got you know, and it, and it changes the whole situation becoming, I have to do this in this anxious kind of fear feeling to, Hey, I can just kind of do my own thing. And then all the stress kind of starts to go away. So I took a lot of the tools I use there, started using them in my own life as co as a pole vault at the, when I was pole vaulting at the time. And then I started using it in my coaching to find just some spectacular results where all my athletes were happier. <laughs> you know, they, they were calmer, they were going into meets uh, with just better mentality. And with and when you take off all those like mental rocks off your back, everything just feels lighter, and it's easier. So that's when I really started to think, all right, I'm going to try and figure out my own mental health and where this depression and anxiety is coming from, because nobody has a great answer yet. And Hopefully, by just sharing what I'm learning, it can help people, whether they have depression or anxiety or not, or you know whatever else, and just help them maybe look at life a little different or give them the tools to help with their mental health. Because um, the, the easiest way for me to say this is like, you can have sports psychology, child psychology, you know, clinical psychology, but it's all psychology. It doesn't matter where you use it. And so I think if you have the tools out there, you can use them in whatever aspect of your life you want, whether it's sports or, you know, parenting, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. So yeah, that's, that's the long answer of kind of why I'm, I'm talking about mental health more. Yeah. Uh, I think it's super important because yeah, you can use it in any type of way that you need. Like, I think it's, it's a shame that it's, it's taken so long to come. I know we we've come a long way, but I think we still have a long way to go where I think yeah. you know, when I was, when I was younger, I'm sure, especially more, you know, when, when you were younger in, in high school and, and so on and so forth, like just wasn't something that you talk about. And even when I was in, in high school, like, I don't like, yeah, we had guidance counselors, but it was never really a, oh yeah. Like if you're, you know, if you have these types of feelings or, you know, if, if these things are going on, whether it's, you know, bullying, harassment, or, you know, you're just, you know, just overall mental health because of things at home, like you have a person to go to and, you know, not, not everyone is, is going through, you know, those, those types of things. I'm, I'm glad I I'd love for no one to have to have, have issues. I'm sure everyone does, but you might have some other problem in another aspect of your life, like sports psychology. Like maybe, maybe it's like, all right, I'm, I do really well, uh, you know, in practice, but then, you know, the meat comes along and I'm like, ah, oh, geez, like I am going up against the top three competitors in our conference and I need to win for our team to have a chance to, you know, win the championship. All of a sudden you get the butterflies. And so you yeah. can, it's like, yeah, while you might've, you, you can learn these, uh, you know, psychological techniques to help calm yourself down. They can be used both at home if you're just sitting and you're, you know, having a tough time, or they could be used on the track when you might be having a difficulties on, Oh man, this is a really big competition. I don't want to blow it. So it, it it's it's interchangeable no matter where you go. Yeah, I it's it, yeah, it it it's just so important. <laughs> I, that's all I keep thinking about is is you know, I I got my undergrad in education because I wanted to teach people the things I knew. You know, that's kind of how that started. And I was like, "Oh man, I need to know how all these things work." So then I got my master's in biomechanics and ex-phys, so I knew how the body worked. And then I remember like 6 months before I graduated, I was like, "Son of a man. I need to go to I need to get a doctorate in sports psychology because that's where it all starts, you know?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and uh, and it really does, you know? And you know, we can talk in pole vault world, we can talk about technique and then, you know, the best type of training, but if you're if your head's not in it and it's nothing's going to stick. So yeah, it is important, man. And especially in pole vaulting, you know, like I have a joke that, you know, pole vault is 80% mental and the rest is in your head. Cause it sure yeah. seems that way. Most of the time, especially is my grip, right. You know, do I have enough chalk in my hands? There's a slight headwind. I don't even know if I should even try right now. <laughs> like there's all these thoughts going on and you always end on three misses, which just opens up a whole nother can of worms, you know, that makes pole vault, pole vault are special, but you know, what kind of people are drawn to, you know, missing three times and still coming back for more to try it again. You know, it's, it's yeah. wild, man. 
Yeah, that's uh, so I, I use that quote all the time. Like whenever, whenever someone's, you know, talk asking about pole vault, I'm like, yeah, it's 80% mental and the rest is in your head or, or some variation of it, 70, yeah. 90, whatever it might be. Cause it's so true. Like there's like most of your vaults are going to be won or lost, like between like, you know, what's in your ears. Like, obviously like if you're, if you're more talented, like, and you know, if you have, you know, you're better and better athlete, it's fantastic. It's great. But I think it goes under, it's, it's understated how important, like, you know, what's going on in between your ears is, you know, when it comes to competing, because if you have this, you know, anxiety before a meet or whatever it is, you're, you're not going to be able to, to perform at your highest level. Like what would, what would you say either looking back at it now or your time as an athlete, what might be like one or two, maybe quick tips, like when you're at the meet and you're like, okay, I'm feeling my heart rate's be- beating a little bit. Like I'm, I'm, my hands are getting a little shaky. You can feel, you know, you might be a little anxious. What are some tips maybe like when you're in the moment that you realize, okay, try one of these things, hopefully it can help calm you down, you know, in the meantime, before you're able to, you know, really digest things later on. Yeah, that's tricky, man. Cause you know, it's, for me, I, I worked better when my nerves were high. Like if you look at where all my PRs were there at big meets, like the U S championships, the Drake relays where I was competing against Renault. And and at the time, like Mark Hollis was one of the best jumpers in the U S. And so sometimes you don't want to calm down. I, so the best advice I can give is to bring awareness to what helps you perform at your optimal level. And so if you need to get up, you know, then you need to find the types of things that might get you excited and, and get to that level. And if you need to calm down, you know, find some type of tools or tricks that'll help you do that. So I, I always start with awareness because everybody's so different. It's like they're, they're the same tools, not going to work for everybody. Exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. That, like I for me, helps, I would, man. Yeah, so it's interesting because yeah, I was the opposite. I was someone where at, at the bigger meets, I was like, oh man, like now I'm getting, you know, things, you know, things are going, this is real. This isn't just a, a dual meet where it doesn't matter what I do. No one's watching. And so yeah, it's interesting because yeah, for you, it was the opposite where, you know, the lights are shining, you're doing really well. Well, for, for other athletes, it's, you know, the opposite. And so it's, yeah, find whichever ways it is, you know, that you, react to pressure and then, you know, play into the hands of whatever your strengths are. Yeah. So like the calming down stuff is really fascinating because you can just breathe slower and that will almost trick your, your body into, instead of like a flight or fight, you can kind of go into a rest and digest situation. And if you operate better from there, you know, just big, deep breaths can help you do that. Or, you know, changing the way you think changes the way, um, like you can feel like I, there's a good example of this. Like if you see a picture of a lemon, and then you see a picture of a lemon getting cut and then you see like citrus coming out of the lemon and then you think about putting the lemon in your mouth and then most people hearing this right now are their mouth is going to start tingling and, and watering a little bit right that's a thought like there's no lemon in front of us or in our mouth but that thought is powerful and it created this physical response in us so that's why like the awareness of what your thoughts are doing and where they are to me is one of the most important things you can do. So if you go to a meet thinking you're going to lose, that's going to create this response in your body. Or if you go to a meet thinking that bar is really high, or if I lose, my parents are not going to like me, or I'm going to let down my teammates. Like those are, those thoughts have impact. But if you go in there and go, I'm going to try and jump the highest I can. And if the bar falls down, you know, and you, maybe even you know height. And instead of looking at no height, maybe like it's a bad thing, you can look at it like, oh, if I can learn why no height did, like I, the wind changed and I didn't change any of my settings. So I came up short. Then you can look at it like, Hey, that no height, I didn't make a bar, but I learned something, which is progress, which is kind of like that growth mindset that a lot of people are talking about now, where if you go, Hey, I'm still growing, even with this failure, then you, you never lose, you know, at that point. So yeah, knowing who you are and then awareness to what's going on physically, because the physical sensations in your body are usually the fire alarm to pay attention to what's going on up top. So awareness is my number one answer. Yeah. (laughs) Having it's, it's extremely important. Uh, and especially in the, in the pole vault, I mean, you're trained to know your, you know, just awareness of your body of, okay, where's my, where are my shins in relation to my hands in relation to my hips and, you know, my arms and, and all that. And so not only do you need, 
you know, have the situational awareness of, okay, where my body is in its physical space, but where's my men, where's my, you know, mental attitude in this physical space as well, because that also plays a part, you know, in how you're going to compete. And yeah, if you're running the 100 yeah, and sure, you're, you don't need to know all that, like in, in the pole vault, but it's, it's still just as important, you know, before you go into your race or, or whatever it is to, you know, to have those ideas of, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. How can I make sure we have more of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff moving forward? And if we do have some of the bad stuff, what can we do in the future so it doesn't happen as much? Yeah, it's, it's all holistic, man. It's like, it's, I mean, you can train without, you know, or doing anything with nutrition, but you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's all these little pieces that go together. And what I've found, um, and I don't know if, if you were like this growing up too, but nobody talked about the mental side of things. You know, it was always toughen up, you know, try harder. That's kind of the message I was getting yeah. in, in high school. So I, th I think like you said earlier, the, the trends are changing, but it's, it's obviously going slower than I think we both want it to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm happy to see and hear from a lot of the, um, you know, athletes that are in, in high, in high school now, like I, I was able to go and, and help out some of the, like the high school track and field meets or, or, or track practice, like when I was in college or, you know, recently just going out and, and, you know, lending a helping hand in the vault. Cause they're like, Hey, we don't have a vault coach. Do you want to help us for a day or two while you're here on spring break? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And like hearing from them, like, you know, the type of stuff that they're going through. I'm like, wow, like we didn't have these resources when I was here and I was here. What? only seven years ago. And I'm like, yeah. geez, first, wow, it's been seven years. And then, and then, it, and then it's, uh, it's like, wow, it's, it's, yeah, it's things, a lot has changed, but it's also like, well, I, I wish that that happened earlier. And yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see where we're at in within the next, you know, five to 10 years. And hopefully it's not as big of a stigma and, you know, people are, you know, just as willing to go, you know, to the dentist when you have a, a toothache as you are to, to go into a, a psychologist or whatever you might need if you're having, you know, some mental, you know, mental uh, issues there. Yeah. How'd you like coaching, man? Like some people really enjoy it coming back and some, some people. Oh don't. yeah. I love it. So, uh, coaching is one of my favorite things to do. Like I always loved, I loved coaching someone to a PR more than it was for me to get a PR. I felt like, the same way, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like people like, so at my biggest meet, like some of my biggest meets, I was like, okay, yeah. Like I, I, I just PR'd, like I had my best performance ever. Fantastic. I'm like, yeah, but I helped my teammate. Like, you know, he was like having difficulties with his mindset on things to go. I, I ate it. I gave him some tips. I, I watched the videos, gave him some, you know, pointers on what to do. It's like, and then he PR'd. I was excited for him. And he's like, but what about you? I'm like, it was great. But did you see him? Like did you see what he <laughs> yeah. jumped and I'm like, and so it's just like, it's just, for me, it's more valuable because it's like, there's only one of me and there are billions of you. So I'd rather help the billions of you than the one of me. Uh, yeah. you know what I mean? I just, I just always felt more value there. And so even though I was only at the high school for, you know, a few days and I don't really, you know, I, don't even remember their names right now. Like, it's nice to know, like, Hey, like might've had an impact, even if it was a small one on this person's view on our sport going into the future. Yeah. There's, I, I wish I knew what that was exactly. I've been exploring that, but like you lit up as soon as I asked like, Hey, do you like coaching? You're like, Oh, let me, let me tell yeah. you this. Like something. I don't even think it has to be coaching pole vault, but just, yeah, it was a service. You know, everyone talks about, providing service to people all the time. And it's, it really is cool when, yeah, something you've been working. I don't know for me, I, I've had this idea that if you work on something a long time and it's really hard to figure out and then you figure it out, say it took you 10 years, right? Like pole vault's taking me a long time to figure out yeah. and you can give someone 10 years of information like that much faster. Uh, that, that lights me up inside. Cause you're like, I did all this work and yes, go run. Like, let's see mm -hmm. how far you go with this. It's like you handed the ball off to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It feels like you're, you're part of a, a four by four relay or four by one, or it's like, oh. okay, I just, I just ran this 400 as fast as I can. Like I'm giving it to you. You, you go, go. Yeah, good I, luck. You, you're, <laughs> you're in the lead. You have a 10 meter lead, go and take it and run with it or what, whatever it might be. Cause yeah, that's what I, I felt. Cause it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing really well here. Like it took me a long time to, to get this knowledge of, of what I'm doing. And if I can help you learn, yeah, what took me 10 years to figure out, I can give that to you in 10 to 20 minutes. Be like, then you can take all that. And then, you know, 
far exceed what what's going on. Like I think it's so one thing that's that's interesting. It's a love it's a love hate relationship. Carter, if you're listening to this, uh, um, <laughs> so he's he's a guy that he was two years younger than me vaulting. He's still uh, vaulting at my school, Mount St. Mary's, and so he just jumped what 473. Um, and my PR he indoors his PRs five meters something. He's much he's much better than me now than than I was, and so I'm like. Oh man, my PR was 476. You're going to kick me off that, you know, top 10 list pretty quickly. I'm like, so it's like, oh man, I want to see you do well. And then it's like, oh man, but then my legacy's gone. But it's like, I, I still feel so much more excited though, to seeing how like high he can jump and like more, more times than not. I'm like, yeah, I want you to jump like insane, like kick me off the list. I want to see you jump insanely high. And it's like, yeah, you're doing something that I was never able to do, but I felt more, I feel more joy seeing, you know, my former teammates, friends, or people I used to, you know, help out in the sport, you know, jumping higher. It's like, yeah, sure. Self, like selfishly, you'd want to, you know, have your legacy live on, but it's like, well, no, I'd, I'd rather actually see in the long term someone reach their goals that I might have played a little part in, you know, them being able to get there. Yeah. Do you're touching on a topic I don't think that gets talked about enough, especially in sports, is that like, when I was a pro or I, I, it feels strange calling myself a pro, but when I was doing the post-collegiate thing, I, I didn't want anyone to beat me. <laughs> you know, like yeah. That's the mentality you have. Like it's very competitive and it feels kind of selfish at the time, you know, that you're, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can. I used to joke, I would eat cardboard. If someone told me cardboard would make me jump higher, like, I guess I'm eating cardboard for three meals a day. <laughs> and I would do anything, you know, to the point where my body was breaking due to overtraining, like I was pushing too hard. And so, yeah, when this like thing changes, it's hard to get out of that, you know, space where you're operating from and going to, yeah, I want you to beat every single record I have. And I want to help be a part of that, you know? And I, 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 I've seen some research of athletes really struggling with that, you know, especially at the elite level where they're Olympic gold medalists and world record holders. And then, you know, their body can't do it anymore. And then they have to essentially start over. Like if you were just getting out of college and applying to places and nobody cares if you have a gold medal, you know, that's a massive drop. Uh, to getting back to that place. But yeah, I I think it's important to, again, bring awareness to that and where, you know, you, you build your identity at, you know, and it, it it has to change, you know, from the elite level, or this is what I'm exploring, man. So I'm just like spitballing garbage with you now, but it's like, or can elite athletes do just as well by not having this, I need to beat everybody, you know, mentality. I don't know. It seems to be working for Sam. He seems to want everyone to jump high all the time, you know, Yeah, which is it's, cool. It's interesting because taking, talking about that, um, looking back at the, the 2016 Olympics, I think really shows an interesting mindset between two of the best vaulters, especially at the time and still now between Renault and Sam Kendricks. So I saw yeah, Sam Kendricks had the, the mindset of the I want everyone to jump high. I want us all to be friends. And I want us, you know, if, if we could have everyone in this meet jump six meters, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. Where then, and you see Renault, like he breaks what was, I think the Olympic record at the time. Yeah. His own, his own Olympic record, his own Olympic record. He's like, I'm going to be the first person to go back to back when two Olympic championships in the pole vault, you know, history is about to be made. And then this guy from Brazil, who I'm sure he wasn't even thinking of before he got there, Tiago Braz, he decides to also then break his Olympic record with like a massive PR that is outrageous at the time. And Renault was, I've never seen a man so upset. Like you could tell. Yeah. yeah, He was not happy (laughs) at all. Like, I think if he had the ability to not show up to that medal stand, he probably would have not. Like he was that upset. It was just, it's interesting to see the two different mindsets where it looked like, Renault really has that. I need to beat every single person here where Kendrick's like, yeah, I'm just happy to be here, man. Like, let's all, <laughs> let's all do really well. It's, it's an interesting mindset. Yeah. It seems like two different, two different ways, like the old way, you know, and that's where I was taught, you know, where you outwork everybody 
if if you're if you miss a day, someone's working that day and they're gonna out jump you or outwork you. And then you know if you have a bad meet, a bad day, a bad race, bad whatever it is, it's your fault because you missed a day. You know, like that's kind of the mentality that was ingrained into me. And then I'm starting to like wonder and notice that I don't think we need to think like that anymore to to jump high and be successful or to run fat or whatever thing you're competing in. So. Yeah, I mean, if you think of Tim Mack too, like his whole his story is insane. He, Toby was on. I don't know if you remember from two thousand four, but Toby had like a shot to make this bar, and then it was going to move to six meters or something like that. And Tim was sitting there just essentially meditating, like I'm going to jump this next bar. Not that he had it in the bag. Like that's what Renault kind of looked like. I have this in the bag. I jumped the Olympic record, man. There's mm-hmm. no way he's going to PR at this bar where Tim was like, Toby's going to make it and we're going to have to jump at the next bar. So he was getting ready to jump next. And that's just the two different mindsets going into that. And then so Toby obviously missed and Tim won. But if Toby would have made it, I think I think Tim probably would have made that next bar too. Like they were ready to go. You know, where Renaud just, yeah, he looked deflated at that. And then his next three attempts, he didn't have the same pop anymore. So yeah, that... I don't know what's better. I think the answer always kind of goes to probably depends on the person, but I know what one feels better to operate from, you know, long-term. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, there's, there's so many different, you know, mindsets of, of how you're going to attack, you know, your, your competition, your vault, whatever it is. And it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because in the vaults, like everyone's, you know, kind of treats each other on the surface like that, that first part where we're all friends. Cause I mean, like, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like we're all, you know, everyone cheers on each other. Like if somebody's like, Hey, can you catch my step? 99.9% of vaulters will, you know, will help you do that. But then you'll also have, you know, once the competition really gets going, that's, it's like, all right, I'm not talking to you anymore. Like I'm vaulting. Like I'm yeah, get your own step. I want to be, <laughs> it's like during warm up, Sure. I'll catch your step. But then it seems like, you know, certain people when that, you know, when that competition bar, like when it clicks in, it's like, all right, it's game time. Like I'm not like, we're friends, we're friends off the track, but I'm, I'm focusing in right now. Yeah. It's weird. So it's like, that's the individual part of the sport where, you know, I think what Sam's doing is great. Cause it's, it's making every, they're looking at the sport as a whole, like Casey got put on ESPN, I think, or sports center, maybe it's like top yeah. 10 list. And it wasn't for a fail, you know, it was amazing. You know, we got a, a kid mm-hmm. on there and I, I guess now where I'm at in my life, it's, it's not about me anymore. It's about what I can give back. And I think that's, sounds like that's where you're at and you're finding a lot of value and, you know, good vibes there. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> versus just how high can I, how, how high can I clear this bar? And you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. what's that going to do? You know, in yeah. the grand scheme of things. Like yeah. I tried to vault like a little bit after college. Like I did two or three meets. I was like, this is, this is stupid. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, like gone now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I love, like, I love the sport. Like I'm, I obviously I'm still talking about it right now and I haven't competed. I still have my spikes. I should probably throw them out or something. <laughs> I'm not putting those <laughs> things back on, but it's like, yeah, like I love the sport and would have, I loved to have jumped higher. Like, yeah. When in the day, like, yeah, I would have loved to jump higher when I was competing. But like at this point, I'm like, yeah, if I wanted to keep vaulting or whatever, sure. I could probably jump 17 feet if I, if I was like, okay, I'm only, I don't, I don't want to focus on anything. I could, I could do it if I, that's what I want to. It was like, but is it worth it? Like, is, is that, is the time and effort of me jumping, you know, and practicing more like worth it? Or is it helping other people that are just getting started in the sport and spending time coaching those, you know, the high schooler for once or twice a week? you know, is that more worth it? And be like, yeah, I think it is. Cause their career is much longer than the one or two years that I might spend, you know, jumping mediocre heights that aren't going to help anyone out doing anything. Yes. Sure. It's strange. Like where you put your value. Cause say you did just eat cardboard, you know, and train full time for, for that. You would probably learn some things you could probably pass on to those high schoolers too. So, yeah, you know, I, I think about that too, is, you know, even if it feels selfish, like if down the road you use those tools to, to pass it on, that there's nothing selfish in it at all. And uh, I mean, 
I would, I, I keep getting down to the bottom of the bucket when I think about this, but it always just seems back to like, we have a small time on this world. <laughs> you know? Might as well yeah. doing it what you enjoy, whether it is trying to use a stick to jump over another stick as high as you can go or teaching someone else to do that. And I, I mm-hmm. think it's a, I think it's a cool thing. Exactly. Yeah. Find what you love, find something you're passionate about and spend that time doing it because you're not going to, if, if you want to, if you want to jump the world record, well, then you better get started now. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want to, you know, end up being a coach, you can find plenty of courses on, on helping you, you do that as well, but find what it is you love and, and do that. But, um, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time here. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm sure we could go on for another hour or two if we, if we wanted to, but uh, where, where could people go to, to find out more about your book or just more about you and, and the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, right now, team-hoot.com. Uh, that has all the pole vault stuff and links to uh, the, the YouTube vlogs and Instagram and all that other stuff. And then, um, yeah, just stay tuned to... Um, if you go to Sean Danger Hoot, because when I created Instagram, I, I thought it was funny to have Danger was my middle name. Uh, that's where I'll, I'll be launch, uh, talking about launching all the mental health stuff that's going to be hopefully coming out in the next four or five weeks or so. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sean. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. This has been another episode of Track World News. Uh, if you enjoyed it, follow us on Instagram at Track World News. Uh, and also make sure that you leave a like, uh, subscribe, follow the show. It really helps us know that you're enjoying the content. Have a good one and peace.